our Bible reading this morning is from 1, 1 John 2, 15 to 27. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, <coughs> sorry, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with, and the world with its lust is, pa- is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to, belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but it's because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar who is not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has a Father. He who confesses the Son has a Father as well. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us eternal life. I have written these things to to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things that is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, remain in him. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Well, good morning, everyone. Again, nice to see you again. Um, Just to reiterate, it's been really special to be able to baptize little John Vergeese this morning, and welcome to the friends and family that are here today. The specialness continues at 10.45. uh, Ryan's actually baptizing my little girl, so it's a nice little, I'll splash yours, you splash mine, and we can... um, Yeah, so that's all happening in our baptism bonanza. And so it's nice to, yeah, see, connect with some old friends and um, have a bit of a blast from the past. Uh, speaking of blast from the past, let's go back in time. Just after I got married, almost 15 years now, um, we lived in a little shonky, tiny flat um, over a grocery store in the back streets of Blacktown. It was super cheap in every sense of the word. 
There's my young wife, if you can see her there. Uh, and, and I remember, you remember buying like fly screen from Bunnings and gaffer taping it to the windows to try and keep the mozzies out. But it was just, it wasn't great. Anyway, nice little place, a nice guy downstairs. I remember one day talking to the owner of the, the shop downstairs. Um, I can't remember his name, I don't remember what country he'd moved to Australia from, but he was a, he was a super lovely guy, just a simple battler guy trying to make ends meet for his family. And one day I was talking to him, he was really excited, he got a letter in the mail. Great news. Out of hundreds of people, he was lucky enough to win a prize, which meant he was going to be given thousands of dollars. Good news for a guy doing it tough. He didn't actually remember entering a drawer. That was a bit tricky. Like He didn't remember that. Maybe his wife had it at the shopping centre or something like that. But that was details. He was going to win, win big. Good news. But some good news is too good to be true, isn't it? You know where this is going. It's a scam. Someone uh, aiming not just to not give him money, but to take the money that he had. I don't think he fell for it. I don't think he lost anything, except, well, his heart got into it, didn't it? He, he, he loved, he, he just had those, the, the, those visions being promised so much. How much difference those thousands of dollars would make to him and his family. And then it was all dashed away. It's a cruel lie to people to, out to deceive the vulnerable. Maybe you've had some of these scams, or know people who've had these scams as well. You know, you can, I get the phone calls telling me that uh, the, the tax office is after me, or the, or the police are after me, or something like that, and uh, all, that, you know, all that you've won something, and maybe you've fallen for it. Even just a little bit in your heart, going, oh yeah, how good would it be to get that prize? Oh no, how bad would it be to, to, to be prosecuted for something like that? And it's devastating. You hear elderly people losing their savings. Fearing the worst. Even there's a thing recently, um, there's been like an Instagram thing with young Christians, so they say, reaching out for, connecting with other Christians on, on Instagram, looking for some friends, looking for some other Christian people, and it turns out there's a, it's a, a cult behind it. So look out for yourself and your teenagers if they're getting strange friend requests or messages on, on Instagram, that kind of thing. It, it, it's scary, and it's scary how quickly these things um, get their claws into our hearts. They trigger deep desires, don't they? That's why it works, because there's a deep desire. How good would it be to have all that money and just sort out all this rubbish, all these problems? Deep heart fear of maybe losing money, losing freedom, being in trouble with the law. Even that heart's desire for friendship. Someone's reaching out to me, that's so nice. Good news, you win the lottery. Good news, you get out of trouble. Good news, I just want to be your friend. And sometimes this good news is too good to be true, isn't it? But we want it to be true. It gets into our hearts quickly. Deep heart desire, so easily exploited. Um, The book of 1 John that we've been reading through, uh, according to John himself, is written concerning those who are trying to deceive you. He writes to a community that that people are trying to deceive playing at their heartstrings, treating their deep desires, offering them good news, which isn't good news at all. Good news is actually dangerous to them. Good news they don't actually need because they have a far better news already. Now, the Bible word for good news is, who can tell me? Gospel. Gospel, it just just means good news. The word gospel just means good news. And when we use the word gospel at church, we kind of use it to cover all the good things all the, the good uh, news about Jesus, his love for us, his rescue for us, the, the, the life and hope and purpose that only he brings. 
And even though we have this good news, this gospel, still these deceivers can get to us. We're in danger, like the original hearers of 1 John. Danger of forgetting how good the good news is. Danger of looking for other things as, as good news too. Now, it might be someone trying to actively deceive you. It may just be the deep desires of our hearts playing with us. John is telling the church that he cared for that if they have Jesus, they have what they need. If they have Jesus, they have what they need. And it's important that we hear this and remember it, not just here, but, but here in our hearts. If you have Jesus, you have what you need. Now, you might be here this morning and not too sure about Jesus. That's totally fine. I'm, it, mainly what I'm talking about is, is to Christians about trusting in Jesus above other things. But everyone trusts in something. Everyone builds their life on something, even if it's just on yourself. And it could be just a good chance, whatever you believe, just to think, are the things that I'm building my life on really paying off? Are they trustworthy? Are they worthy of my trust? That's where we're going. We're going to just chunk through this letter of, uh, from John uh, to, to some churches. In three chunks, we'll look at um, diagnosing our desires. We're going to look at detecting danger and then the solution finally of dwelling in the gospel as we go through these sections. Now, we're going to look at verses 15 to 17. At first, if you have your Bible with you, that could be um, helpful. Anyway, we've called this series Light, Love and Life. And just because these are some of the key themes uh, from this letter we've looked so far, if you've been here for the last few weeks, we've kind of started unpacking some of these themes. Um, Ryan preached about this metaphor of, of light, living in God's light, how we can be counted pure and blameless, not by being good, but by trusting uh, Jesus' goodness and cleansing for us. Last week we looked at um, our lives, the tests, remember the tests that show that, that we are in the light, life that shows up in obedience, life that shows up in love, if you remember Isaac talking about that. And today we're going to just dive a little bit deeper into this idea of love as we diagnose our own desires. And John starts with a warning. Such the warning. Uh, and he kind of drives a wedge between two kinds of love. Uh, love of the world or love of the Father. Love, love of God. It's love shaped by the world uh, for the things of the world compared to love that loves God overall. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. I think it's a pretty striking statement. Love the world or love God? I mean, hang on. Aren't we meant to love the world in a, in a way? Like, for God so loved the world, John 3.16. Yeah, so, so John sharpens what he means by love here. He gives the categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride in one's possessions. Now, I don't really think that the word lust here kind of serves us heaps well, because I think when you think of lust, we kind of put things in, the, in the, like the sexual category. At least that's kind of where your mind often goes. Lust of flesh, lust of eyes, we think of sexual desires and those kind of things. And that's part of it, but it's, but it's broader than that, what's going on here. Broader than just sexual desires. Um, your translation, your Bible might say a desire there instead, instead of lust, but it doesn't quite get it. It's kind of literally over-desire. 
over desire. If you can geek out in the Greek if you want to, but it's it's epithumia. It's it's over desire, over passion, over passion, over desire, and it's this idea of longing, of craving, a controlling desire, whatever that might be. Now, the love of the world that doesn't mean you know loving your neighbour and caring for the planet. No, no, this is talking about a messed up love that overwants, that over desires overly lusts and craves for things. It's the over-desires of the flesh, over-desires of the eyes, and it's the pride in people's possessions. That's what John's talking about here. Uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, we did question time after um, our series in Walking into Eternity. We, part of this, we talk, we talk about this and talk about what sin is, and sin is that uh, product of our hearts loving things too much. The love which displaces the love of God. The warning here is, is, is of over-desires that run our lives. What are the over-desires of the flesh? Maybe uh, comfort or respect or pleasure or beauty or power. Not bad things in themselves mostly, unless they run your life. Over-desires of the eyes, the, the things that we see that we want that leads to envy, to discontent. We want someone else's stuff or their position or their talents or whatever it is. Our pride in our possessions, when our value comes from what we have. Our money or property or technology, whatever it is that we have, that's where our pride is built. Those are things that he's warning us against. And lots of these things, as I said, are not bad things in themselves, but they're no good to build your life on. Why? Well, John says in verse 17, the world with its desires, with its lusts, with its over-desires, is passing away. It's not going to last. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. John starts here diagnosing our desires, getting, getting us, helping us get to grips with our own hearts, showing uh, the, the foundations that they're resting on, feeble foundations often. So what I want you to, to do in your own uh, mind, you can go to the next slide, I think. Yeah, uh, what I want you to do is just take a moment for yourself. Don't have to share this. We're not going to raise hand and tell you what, what your issues are. But <clears throat> think for yourself, what's potentially one over-desire, one danger, one way that my heart could be running me that it shouldn't be, that you might have yourself? Just keep that in your mind, just one way. Over-desire for comfort or money or just have that in your brain we'll kind of come back to that in a little bit as we work this this pattern through a little you know as we go through so you got that in your head good uh, now the church john was writing to um he had people in it people influencing it people who were out to deceive them i think we can go to the next one chris i'm not kind of what the slides are but uh, that'll do yeah great uh people who are out to deceive them and out to manipulate the hearts and loves of god's people to turn their hearts to those desires to turn them away from God. Now, our best bet, from what we can tell, is that these false teachers in this church trying to influence um, the churches there, the group of people called the Gnostics, and Isaac talked about these last week, comes from that Greek word to know, and these people are offering knowledge, special knowledge, a top-up of info, um, and extra knowledge on top of what you have, what you know about Jesus. They taught a number of things. Among the things they taught was that, that your spirit or your soul was kind of the thing that really mattered about you, not your body. In fact, the physical body, dirty, uh, unimportant, they taught a real kind of spirit-flesh division. Now, I'll explain what 
what difference that makes in, in their teaching, right? So uh, one, one difference is that if, you're, you know, if your spirit's all that matter and your body doesn't matter, then that means, well, you can do what you want with your body, yeah? Your body doesn't matter. It's all about what you know. It's all about your, your mind and your spirit. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. Your behavior and actions aren't important. They don't have an impact on anything. That's what they might be teaching, now, this is helpful to know because you kind of look back at John and see why he keeps going on and on about behavior and love and obedience and walking in the light. He's so much, so much time talking about this because he's talking against people who are saying, well, your body doesn't matter. Do what you like. Love the world. Love the things of the world. Follow the desires, the over-desires of your heart and your eyes. That's why John speaks so strongly against it. Build up your possessions now. It doesn't matter. So you see how dangerous that is? Saying the body doesn't matter gives people an excuse to do whatever they like with it. I can do what I like. My body doesn't matter. So in a way, I'm without sin. Because my spirit's pure. But John says, no, what you do matters. If you say you have no sin, you are deceiving yourself. He says. If you say you love God and know God, but ignore what he says about life... You're ignoring his commands. You don't actually know God. These are the themes that cycle through the letter. If you say you know and love God, but your special knowledge means you're hurting others, your brothers and sisters, then you're in the dark, not in the light. You can kind of see why John goes on and on about this in his letter. It's because the false teachers are saying, spirit matters, your body doesn't. What you do with it doesn't matter. Do what you like. So that's one implication of this special knowledge. They're giving over to the desires and lusts. But there's another, another problem with this, um, this teaching that was coming to them. Another, the, another problem with this teaching. The other implication is that they're denying Jesus. Specifically, they're denying that Jesus is the Christ. They're denying that Jesus is God with us. Well, it makes sense because if the body is dirty and evil and horrible, there's no way a divine God could really be in it. That's what they were teaching. Maybe a spirit came on this body for a while, helped them do some cool miracles, and then whisked off before they could kill him. But a fleshly man, no, a fleshly man couldn't be God. It made no sense to them. Jesus can't be the Christ, the Son of God, God's anointed King. And Christ, actually, it means anointed one. Christ is the anointed one, the chosen one, the, 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 the special one that God has chosen to be King. It can't be Jesus, they say. He can't be the anointed one, the Christ. And so, as John writes in the next bit, he addresses this head on. It's why he calls these false teachers anti-Christs. They're against Christ. They're anti-Christ because they are against the Christ, Jesus. Now, if you've been in church a long time or you know, read Revelation, all those kind of things, you might think anti-Christ. You've got all kinds of apocalyptic pictures in your minds. But let's just take it here at face value. These teachers are called anti-Christ because they are against Christ. And John says it's terrible. You can't say that you're with God, that you have the Father, and then deny that Jesus is his son. Verse 22, who is the lie if not the one that denies Jesus is the Christ? This one is the anti-Christ, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Um, again, I spoke a few weeks ago about walking with Jesus into eternity. I don't know if you were here for that, or remember, I remember a bit of it. But, 
But I, I did talk at the time just how important it was that Jesus was raised physically, as a physical man, physical, personal. And, and how important it was that he, he walked in, through, through the world, really, he walked, he lived, he suffered as a man, yet without sin. This means he can be the perfect sacrifice for humanity because he is part of humanity. Humanity raised to life, promising life for humanity now. Risen and ascended as, as a man so we can have hope of physical resurrection and new life in the new creation. All because God was, sorry, Jesus was truly God and truly man at the same time. Now this doesn't work. Like, all that doesn't work if this just spirit came on a sinful Jesus and then left, as their teachers were probably saying. So what they're doing in this teaching is just pulling the guts out of the Christian faith. They take the good news out of the gospel. Now, surely no one will fall for that, will they? Surely they won't fall for that. Stripping the gospel of all its power. But you can see how they get your listening. They can see how they get your heart. They just hook the things that you really, really want. You can live however you want to. You can chase your desires. It's all good and you can be safe with God too. What a good deal that is. Good news. Ooh. And isn't it a good thing we're sharing the special knowledge with you? But they're... See how they get their, their heart's desire? But they strip the gospel of all its power. Good news becomes no good news at all. Jesus, no longer saviour. No longer Christ. You don't need saving because you have the knowledge you can save yourself. Now, we don't have these false teachers quite so clearly now, but we still hear the lie of the Antichrist now. We don't... Like, we don't quite as overtly have these people teaching these things that I'm aware of, but we have the lie of the Antichrist now still. It's the same lie, the, the lie that strips the gospel of the power. It's, it's the lie that says Jesus isn't king of your life. Jesus isn't powerful to save you. You need something else instead of Jesus. In fact, you can be Jesus for yourself. It's the Antichrist lie. The anti-Jesus lie. And that actually sits behind all of these desires, these over-desires that we have, these mixed-up loves that we have. So when you think, again, what's the antichrist lie that sits behind your over-desire? We talked about it before. I'll give you an example, right? So you can, yeah. So uh, say you have an over-desire for comfort or wealth. And that kind of comes from the lie that Jesus isn't powerful enough to look after you or care for you. See what I mean? That's the desire for wealth. It comes from the lie that Jesus can't look after you. Or your over-desire for reputation and fame comes from the lie that being a child of God is not enough. See what I mean? We'll keep digging into this idea, but there's the, there's the over-desire and there's a lie sitting behind it. Have a go in your own head. What's the lie sitting behind that example over-desire that you thought of before. So, diagnosing our hearts, detecting these dangers, what's the antidote? What is the answer? What do we say to those who say you need something extra? Jesus is not enough, you need something more. Well, what does John say? Verse 24. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, then you'll remain in the Son and in the Father. 
saying, stick with the good news of, of Jesus. And this is the promise he himself made to us, eternal life. What more do you want? Verse 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it is taught, you remain in him. Those who are against the Christ, against the anointed one, John says to them, no, no, we have the anointing. Anointing here is is the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus himself is with us. That's what we have. You see the the anti-Christ, the anti-anointing. So, well, to them you say, no, no, we have the anointing. We have actually Jesus with us himself. We don't need to know more than that. We have Jesus and he is enough. We have Jesus and he is enough. So the response to the lie of the Antichrist is Christ. The antidote to our over-desires are desires shaped by Jesus. As we dwell in this, as we remain in this, as we dwell in the gospel. So, all right, so what does this mean for you? Where does the rubber hit the road? Now, as I said, I don't don't think there are people in our congregation actively teaching against the humanity of Jesus. Um, I don't think that's going on. I hope it's not. If it is, you let me know, please. But there are these things going on in our hearts all the times. We're fed by the world and taught to love the things of the world like everyone else is. And we don't always see it. We don't always see these lies. So we're going to take a moment to reflect. For ourselves, what's just one area of your life where you can identify that you love something too much? It's running your life. You have an over-desire for it. Is it a desire of the flesh or of of the eyes? Is it your pride in your stuff? Identify that. Let's identify the Antichrist lie that feeds it and then think about how the true gospel, the true Christ, makes the difference. I'll go first. And then you can see how this works. I won't, again, ask you to say it out loud. It's okay. Uh, what's an over-desire of mine? Okay, so for me, personally, something that uh, I can struggle with is a desire for people to like me more than, than um, matters. <laughs> I think I'm a people-pleaser at heart. Many of us are. And so an over-desire there is that people think well of me. Um, so I, I can care too much about my reputation, what people think. And how does this show up in my life? Well, maybe um, my temptation might be when I talk to someone to uh, soften the truth a bit, you know? Not to speak quite as honestly and and someone uh, get upset by what I say. I did it even then, did you notice? I said soften the truth. I didn't say lie. (laughs) I want people to think well of me and not get upset at me. So if I say a job will take this long, even though I know it's going to take this long, maybe I'll say, oh, this will probably cost this much when I know it's going to cost this much. Uh, that's my temptation to do that, to, to just to, to, um, keep people thinking well of me, not to cause issues. When we make a mistake or do something wrong, if you're anything like me, we're often far more worried that someone else will find out rather than God who already knows. There can be a fear of shame, a fear of judgment, a fear of disrespect. You see what I mean? It's an over-desire. A desire for people to like me, and maybe you can relate to that as well. So what's the lie behind it? Let's get practical. What's the Antichrist lie behind this sort of over-desire? Well, the lie is, I can save myself by managing what you think of me. The lie is that your judgment matters more than God's judgment of me. That people's judgment matters, that God doesn't. The lie is that God's creatures are far more important than the Creator Himself. The lie is, I don't need Jesus, I can manage myself myself. Thank you very much. See the lie behind the desire? 
What does the gospel say to this desire? The true gospel says that Jesus loves me far more than anyone ever could. He's shown that. The true gospel says that Jesus knows the depths of my heart and all my failures that I don't want you to know about, and he loves me anyway. The true gospel makes me look back at Jesus and see uh, him walking in my path, not caring what people thought of him. I see Jesus being openly truthful, speaking the hard truth in love, not afraid of what people think of him. The true gospel shows me Jesus, and I see Jesus naked, beaten, mocked and ridiculed as people point their fingers at him and scoff him as he hung on a cross. The true gospel shows Jesus taking that shame and that judgment and disrespect, not because he deserved it, but in my place. So that when I stand before God, I don't need to feel shame and I won't be judged negatively. He gives his holy righteousness to me so I can live without fear. Why should I care what people think of me? The true gospel says this is the same Jesus in me, by his spirit, by his anointing. And in that power, I can learn to care less what you think of me and more what God thinks of me. As I rest in Jesus, as I dwell in this gospel, as I live in this truth, as I pray for that to be real in my life too. Make sense? Let's do one more. Um, Perhaps you have an over-desire about your family, that family comes before all things. And so the thing you fear most is that that relationship will get fractured, that there'll be, um, you, you might lose someone that you love. And so when your family, you love, like, it's good to love family, but when it, when it runs everything, when your family lets you down, you might feel disconnected, you might feel betrayed, you might feel useless, you might dig in harder and just try and hold it all together, and you're crushed when fractures occur. Loving family is great, but when it takes over our love of God, it's, it's really dangerous. What's the Antichrist lie behind this over-love of our families? Well, the lies are that you're only important when you're valued by other people. Your value comes from people needing you. And it's your job to hold your life and your family together because without it, your life means nothing. You need to have kids connected to you to feel value. If you don't have it, don't have the, the marriage or the kids or the connections or the grandkids or the extended family that you want... It makes you feel less valuable. That, those are the Antichrist lies, right, behind that love of the, of the family. Um, so what does the true gospel say to, this, to these lies? The true gospel says, again, that Jesus loves you more than anyone in your family ever could. The true gospel says that you are a precious son and daughter of God made in his image. The true gospel shows us Jesus. As we look at the gospel, we see Jesus walking through life, single, saying no to wife, no to kids, even though everything in culture would be pushing that direction. We see him being separated from the perfect relationship with his father, feeling utterly abandoned by his father, enduring that on the cross. Why? So that he can deal with with, with with our broken family relationship with God himself, God the Father, so that we can be brought into perfect relationship with him for eternity. The true gospel says this same Jesus is with you now by his spirit so that you can know and feel this truth as you rest in Jesus, as you dwell in this gospel truth. 
The true gospel says that we in Christ are family together, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can be in a real way as a family in the church. And we pray that as we see Jesus in this, that he will shape our hearts and our desires more that we would know this and this would be our greater love, our love for him. Okay, so for yourselves, just think, just, just dwell on it. What's the desire you have? What's the antichrist lie behind it? What's the good news you can apply? Maybe think about that a bit today. Perhaps many of us go to growth groups during the week. We have prayer time in our growth groups. Here's a freebie for your growth group leaders if you want to kill some time. You could use this as your prayer exercise in, in twos, in threes. Now, we often, we often pray and often confess things. I'm struggling with this or with that or uh, my temper or time management or prayer life or all those kinds of things. But maybe this, this week, beyond just praying for those things and trying harder, maybe take a moment to dig into the, this, this formula, dig into the heart's desire that's, that's, that shapes your actions, dig into the lie behind it, and, and, and speak the gospel to it. Apply the gospel. And then pray that this gospel will shape our hearts, which will then shape our lives by God's Spirit. Make sense? It's just, just a way we can just change our prayer a little bit, either by yourself or in a growth group. Follow that formula. What's your over-desire? What's the lie behind it? What does the gospel say to it? This is part of what it means to dwell in Christ, to dwell and live in the gospel. To see this good news is not just good news for those out there, but it's what shapes our hearts, grows our hearts, changes it even now as Christ dwells in us by his spirit and in his anointing. So when you identify a problem or a sin, we don't just wish it away or fight it off um, and try and imagine we are Jesus and defeat the sin in ourselves. No, we let the gospel speak to it. I think that'd be great if, if our church just grew in that more and more. For a church that's it's awake to these lies of the Antichrist, which are everywhere. The lies that say you don't need Jesus, you can be Jesus yourself. Someone or something else can save you. If we're awake to those lies, that's so important. We want to be a gospel-shaped church. We are full of broken, sinful, complicated, mess of over-desires in each one of us. That's who we are. But we attack them with the gospel. The good news of Jesus is not just good news for those who don't, haven't heard of him yet. It is for them. But, but it's for us. We don't move on for it, from it. We pray that its truth will just seep in and shape our hearts and our desires. That our messed up hearts will become more and more like Jesus. Preparing us for life with him now, life with him into eternity that he promises. It would be great if we are gospel-shaped, gospel-transforming family like that as a church. I'm going to pray as we consider this. Let's pray. Father, I think very often we stay asleep to the, um, to the lies of the Antichrist. We um, fill our life and our time with things to do that we don't reflect and stop. And so, Father, I pray that you give us time that we'd really dwell in the gospel, dwell in Christ, that he might shape our hearts. May we use that time as we um, sing in church, as we hear your word uh, spoken of. May we use time in our growth groups. May you give us uh, time to ourselves, on the train or wherever it is, that we can just consider this gospel. Father, help us remember that Jesus died so that we don't have to um, we don't have to deal with these things ourselves that he died to deal with them for us help us not to move on from it please keep uh, 
preaching the gospel to our hearts and to our disbelief and keep uh, changing us. Father, I pray that we'd be a a church that is transforming uh, through the grace of the gospel uh, because of what Jesus has done for us. And in Jesus' uh, beautiful name we pray. Amen.